Good morning. Welcome to House Church. Oh. <laughs> We're going to go live here. Okay. Instead of our ethos this morning, we're going to do a prayer to welcome the Sabbath. Good morning, faithful friends. Good to see you. Say good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you in the house. Um, well, I'm back. Hey. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Thank you for your prayers and um, for your support and the food and the soup. Christina made this amazing soup for us. We got it. <laughs> she bought it. That's what always happens, right? Somebody gave you this really delicious dish and then the dish sits on the counter for months and months and months. At least that's what happens to me. But thank you again for your prayers and I'm incredibly grateful to be back, to be able to be here and Kyle as well, and he's here too, and Joel never got it, thank you Jesus. Um, so for those of you that don't know, my name is Heidi, and I'm one of the pastors here at House Church, and I'm happy, happy, happy to see all of you this morning. And I'm going to read this prayer instead of our ethos this morning. This is a walk to welcome the Sabbath. So just kind of take a moment, take a deep breath. Do what you need to for a moment to be present here and really sink in to being here with worship It's just beautiful to be with your people. Lord of creation, create in us a new rhythm of life, composed of hours that sustain rather than stress, of days that deliver rather than destroy of time that tickles rather than tackles. Lord of liberation, be the rhythm of your truth. Set us free from the bondage and baggage that breaks us, from the pharaohs and fellows who fail us, from the plans and pursuits that prey upon us. Lord of resurrection, may we be raised in rhythms of your new life, dead to deceitful calendars, dead to fleeting friend requests, dead to the empty peace of our accomplishments. To our tactful planners we bid peace, peace. To our over-caffeinated consciousness we say cease. To our suffocating selves, Lord, we grant us release. Drowning in a sea of dead deadliness, and death chimes, we rest in you, our lifeline. By your ever-restful grace, allow us to enter your Sabbath rest, as your Sabbath rest enters into us. I'm going to read that again. By your ever-restful grace, allow us to enter your Sabbath rest, as your Sabbath rest enters into us. In the name of our Creator, our Liberator, our Resurrection and Life, we pray. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. All right, let's do some announcements. <clears throat> okay. 
and she developed an infection in her heart and uh, had to have open heart surgery. Um, she coded during that time. Shara, uh, uh, I love you, Shara. Um, anyway, divine appointments, divine intervention, <laughs> divine everything. Um, and then her heart and her lungs started to work well, and uh, then her kidneys began to fail. And so in the past five weeks, we have been able, doctors have been able to get her heart and her lungs back in motion, um, but we have not been able to regain kidney function. Um, so she's doing dialysis four to five days a week, which not dialysis is terrible especially for someone who's 82. Um, last week she did develop pneumonia, so she's on antibiotics for that. Um, she's going to be on antibiotics for the infection in her heart until August 10th, so that's like our next um, milestone. Um, we're so grateful too because um, last week they started talking about moving her out to assisted living, and when they were doing that, she would have to go one place to have dialysis, another place to have PT, and it was just going to be a lot of stress on her body, and doctors, her doctors really advocated for her, so she is actually getting to stay at St. Francis and do all of her dialysis, all of her PT, and everything there, so um, we're very grateful for that. Um, when I was watching the video earlier, it said, this little phrase popped up and I typed it out, a faith that trusts in the power of God. And I, I wrote that down because I want to thank you guys for every single moment that you have thought about us. And whether it was just a simple prayer or a text or a Facebook message or a comment or whatever, because I believe that because of the faith that each one of us have had collectively, we are sitting where we are today with Marsha's mom still alive. Marsha's with her mom today, probably fixing her hair, brushing her teeth, picking out dinner, all of the things that Marsha loves to do um, for her mom. Um, a faith that trusts in the power of God, a faith that trusts in the power of love, a faith that trusts in the power of prayer, a faith that trusts in the power of us.
too. Me too. But I did get a hold of baby alligator. Yeah, you meant here. Oh, let me pull it up on here and you can see it. Because we sh we went up there and talked about it. Like yeah. No, it. today. Oh, you did? See, look. Good to see you. Showing her the thing. Oh, my gosh. So we did. We Meredith's is super cute. Look Aww. at her. And we did get to see the beach. We did make it to Legoland. So we did have some bright spots, thanks to you guys and all the people who helped us. What ended up being wrong? I mean, what so when, like, we were right outside of Florida right before we went, and um, just made a weird, made a weird noise, and we just happened to be by auto body shop in Cohort, and they checked the oil; it was bone dry. But I've had the oil checked before. I like two days before we left. Right. And um, so he was like, I don't think they put the oil back in. But there's no way to prove it. Right. And then we get down to Florida, and it's still making kind of a weird noise. They said it was the muffler, but I had just replaced the muffler. So I was like, I don't think that's it. And so right before we go to Lego, the car dies. And so um, we call AAA or whatever. We have to wait like several hours. And then the shop says it's the time to go. Which I have replaced two years ago. So that shouldn't happen. So like, I'm nervous even be driving the car. I mean, we made it home okay, and it's working okay around here. But like, in my heart, I know it's just a matter of time before. What year is it? It's a 2013. Only 150,000 miles. It's a Honda CRV. Shouldn't be bad at all, right? Right. So we're just trying to figure that out. Yes. Okay, and then you will be my. Okay. Um, but anyway, so it was $2,700. We spent all of our money trying to get a good vacation. So it was, we freaked out, you know. And that far away. Yeah, you know. So we were able to pull the funds together. You know, and so, I mean, obviously, like you and lots of people gave, but, um, and so then we went to Daytona. We got to of our car, we went to Daytona and spent a couple days on the beach. But I, like, I'm just nervous every time I'm driving the car, you know, and I wish it would go away, but we got to pay off all of our credit cards and stuff first before we even think about getting something different, you know. Anyway, so there's still some stress, but not as much because we're happy, you know. We have two cars, but her car um, is older, it's a Suburban, and because of the gas, we're thinking of maybe getting rid of both and getting something newer, um, and something maybe a little bit bigger, because like when we were driving down there, I was like, my car is too small for two teenage boys, like I felt this a lot of the way, <laughs> you know, I was like, we need something a little bit bigger. So um, we're thinking about stuff. We just want to pay some stuff off first. So we're praying that the car just holds on because you can't trade in a broken car, you know. Oh, I know. So and mine's worth about eight thousand to trade in. So that's what we're trying to do. Thank you. Yeah, I'll let you know. Thank you, Teresa.
confession of sin, um, this kind of thing, that culture of confession. You know that, that confession is simply is the Greek word homologos. So homo means the same, logos, the word. So to say the same thing as. And so when you're saying the same thing as, really the confession of Christianity is to say the same thing that God says about you. Yes. That's actually the real way to close it up. <laughs> you're not supposed to be dragging up all the things that you did wrong. You know, and we have a picture of that, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son left, spent the inheritance on and on, went out far away, tried to come back, all right? And he's um, rehearsing his list, his apology speech, all the way back to the father. But the father doesn't let him speak, doesn't let him even get the word out. So the father goes and meets him, puts what the father believes he is, puts the robe of righteousness on, puts the, you know, it calls him into the house and feeds him and nourishes him. Never once um, shames him, at least the story goes that way, doesn't want shame him. That's not a human type of love. I mean, when your son comes dragging up, you know, you got your eyebrows raised. You know, you're like, how, how is it, you know, what are you gonna say for yourself? Right? You know, what are you gonna say? You know, that's human love. That's eros, that's all eros, that's religion love, that's human love, that's just like, we want tit for tat, we want people to pay, we want people to gobble. This is not my message, stop making me preach off my notes. Stop it, Chuck, stop it, stop it, stop it. So a fundamental belief that we are separate from God and displease God for most of our actions, especially if they originate with our human desires. So even eating at times is just extraordinarily wrong in God's sight, right? <laughs> so we have uh, eating, drinking, all kinds of sexual behaviors, these kinds of things. Um, are just taught that we are uh, definitely uh, unholy folks and we need some fixing up um, in, in a major way. While some modern thinkers don't think the doctrine of original sin is literally true, but they do think it contains real truths about the human condition. Um, yeah, so the world is not as good as we want it to be. <laughs> we are not as good as we want it to be. Marketing lets us know that. I mean, we have a really culture that says you need more of something we don't have. Come and get it, right? You can't even talk plain in front of your phone without it telling you what you need. <coughs> Give me a break, man. I'm sorry. Someone just whispered in front of me. I'm like, why are you whispering? They said, Jeez, this is crazy. So, um, <laughs> events of an individual's past. And someone um, just helped uh, help know where the issue was.
shows them all sitting around or sitting in chairs, and the cat's not eating their drink and their coffee, and the cat says, yeah, I went from Charlie to Chuck to Sir Chuckles with furry pants. <laughs> and the dog says, oh, that's nothing. I started out as Coltrane, and then it shortened to train, and now they call me Chugga Chugga Woo Woo. <laughs> the other cat says, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> he got me thinking about this progression of names that we have throughout our life. We usually start out, someone wanted us. You, in most cases, someone. Even if it wasn't your bio mom, someone called you Someone called you precious. Someone called you beautiful, baby Somebody. Then as you begin to grow up, some other names start to get thrown in your direction. Hopefully not by your family, but doesn't that happen? Some other names start to get thrown your way, okay? Then, maybe the first time you get married, you get another name, some of us do. Both, both genders will change, change names in, in a direction or assume a different identity. It started getting me thinking about how many names I have gone through with just my three dogs. <laughs> I started with Isabel. Her, she was a little schnauzer mix, about 24 pounds. She went everywhere with me. She lived with me for about 15 years. We were best buddies. She went in the car with me. I used to drive an orange Volkswagen Beetle. And she would jump up into the car. We'd go hiking, go do the things. We'd explore Oklahoma. I was in my late 20s. And um, I love that dog. Well, soon and very soon, her name was not just Isabel, it was Belle. Oh. And then it started to become Mama's little honey dog. <laughs> honey dog. All right, then she was, go ahead, Heidi, how many names did that dog have? Go ahead, you go. You go. She was Pony Whip and Belle Dogger, Cypress Trotter Dog, Pumpkin Head Whip. Um, she was trailblazer. <laughs> Everything is with Woof. It was like, come here, Woof. Come here, honey dog, Woof. And she wasn't, I mean, she was terrible. She was a terrible dog to everybody but me. Okay, but she was terrible. And Heidi, you know, knew her and they loved her jewelry and her. But it was, a, it was a dog that only mother could go. I mean, you know, she just would just attack everybody in the community. It was terrible. Okay, let me tell you this. She wouldn't only just attack and start going crazy. Yeah, what did she do? Oh, yeah. She would. Yeah. 
graduate. All right? So these, these things change. These identities shift. What about after the promotion? All right? You were the coordinator. Well, now you're the manager. All right? Then you're the director. Then you're the chief something. Maybe the vice president. All right? So uh, you're tracking with me? All these names change. And with that change, I remember the first time I got a parking place in corporate America. <laughs> How about that? Remember? When you got to park, you got to park way out. You got to park under the, the covered parking. I drove my red truck up underneath that covered parking right next to the Porsche on the left and the Lexus on the right, my Chevy Silverado. <laughs> <laughs> Director. Okay. Yeah. So over the course of a lifetime, things can get sweeter. But they can also get bitter. What do they call you after the divorce in that old friend of you? What about after the illness? Well, I used to play softball. And I broke my knee. Now I'm. What about after the accident or after the diagnosis? How has your name evolved over your life? Has it gotten sweeter? Or has your name in some part of your life become something that you can't seem to get enough distance from? That reputation that you made in that community or in that small town Ohio, if you were to go back there, you, can't, you know what they would say. Or that church that you belong to, if you were to walk back in, they, they have an identity that they are projecting onto you. Or have you a new, what about this one, House Church, but you have a new and different name that you have chosen, that your family simply cannot remember at all. Has your name changed a few times? Oh, yeah. Mine has. My role, my position, my name. In this house, I would submit to you, as part of the blessing culture, that we will call one another the beloved. That we would call one another blessed. Yeah. That we would call one another forgiven. That when that sad one comes to you and say, boy, well, you made a mess of it this time, tears are falling onto the chest, that you would lift their little chin up and say, oh, the story is We've got some more work Perhaps in this house, maybe you started out lonely. Maybe you were alone, maybe disconnected, but now you were called Mr. McBusy Pants <laughs> with lots of social planning ways. I mean, you got social things coming out of your calendar. It's like, well, I didn't have anything going now. Like, look, I got all this stuff. Or maybe you came in broken hearted and bewildered 
I have preached this before, that you may have come into this house one way, <laughs> soon and very soon you find yourself in another way, feeling all kinds of ways about life. This is a community of transformation. It's a community of revolution. It's not a community of rebellion or of surface type relationships. These things go deep. This community, I mean, you come in thinking it's all cool, and then all of a sudden it gets ooh, way bigger. That's right. It gets bigger and better because the transformations I'm talking about don't just strip away. Now they transform you into something that is the wisdom that you already have. Yes. This is a container of a space that's going to harvest the wisdom that's already deep within you. Yes. But it's a blessing culture. It's a blessing orientation. It's an orientation toward the goodness and the favor of God. Yeah. An orientation is a person's fundamental feelings about or responses to something. It's a tendency of thought, a general inclination. The direction followed in the course of a trend, a movement, or development, an adjustment or an adaptation to a new environment, a situation, a custom, a set of ideas, an orientation. When you start school, you go to an orientation. Here's what's expected of you in this specific. When you start a new job, if they're good, they onboard you, okay? And then you get orientation. If they don't have that organization, then you just start learning on the job and usually frustration is what? Because you don't know what's expected of you. You don't know where to get the tools and resources that you need. And you fumble and fumble. You start to fail. You get disgruntled. What happens tomorrow? And it's all within 90 days. I don't know how that <laughs> I have this picture here today. It's an icon from, I think, the 14th century. Uh, the 15th century, actually. By Andre Rublev. I have Jessica uh, change this from the hand of the wife with the, the word bless that we had so many weeks to, to this review. To bless. An orientation. That word orientation has some stigma. And uh, I would say before you are anything, it is the wisest thing that a person or individual can do is to find their identity in Christ before they start checking boxes on what else is available. But this icon has meant a lot to me over the years. In Genesis, we see the divine dance in the story of when the Lord appears to Abraham. 
Surely we ourselves are not invited to this divine table of host presumed. I want to explain this icon. The story inspired a piece of devotional religious art by iconographer Andre Rublev in the 15th century. The hospitality of Abraham, or simply the Trinity, as icons do, this painting attempts to point beyond itself inviting a sense of both the beyond and the communion that exists in our midst. There are three primary colors on Rublev's icon, each illustrating a facet of the Holy One. God is, God the Father is here and is robed in gold. Gold um, representing purity, durability, fullness, the ultimate source. And then in blue, in the middle, is Jesus. Jesus is the incarnate Christ in this image. Both sea and sky mirroring one another, mirroring one another. So in the icon, Christ wears blue and holds up two fingers. Can you see that? The two fingers right there? Telling us that he has put spirit and matter, divinity and humanity together in himself. The blue of creation is brilliantly undergirded with the necessary red of suffering. So we see the red of suffering with the blue of both sea and sky, of this humanity and divinity. And would you notice that the Jesus figure is looking at the Father figure, and the Father figure is looking at the Jesus figure. So who is that Jesus? The Holy Spirit. So green is what we see the Spirit robed in. The divine photosynthesis that grows everything from within by transforming light into itself. The icon shows the Holy One in the form of greed, eating and drinking, in infinite hospitality and utter enjoyment between themselves. If we take the depiction of God and the Trinity seriously, we have to say, in the beginning, was a relationship. The gaze between the three shows the deep respect between them as they all share from a common bowl. But notice, the Spirit's hand points toward the open and fourth place at the table. Is the Holy Spirit inviting, offering, and clearing space? And if so, for whom? At the front of the table, there appears to be a little rectangle hole. Do you know? 
To do this, many of us will have to take what is called in our modern storytelling vernacular, a hero's journey. Many of you have already done this a time or two in various contexts in your life, where you have accepted more of yourself and put more of yourself into the world. If you have ever answered some kind of call, maybe the first time that you felt God nudging your heart, you began to look into the mirror of your divine relationship and your divine dance and begin to see yourself as accepted in the beloved. This image has done so much for me because the spirit is looking in my direction. Jesus is functioning and acting as me, as he is, so are we in the world. Yes. And the Father is holding it all together. But the spirit is, is uh, looking at me almost as if to say, what's going to come for me? What will you bring to this community? Because you see, if the mirror were there, no matter who looks, you're in. Yeah. No matter what. If you're there, and if you're looking at it, you're there. No change necessary. You don't have to clean it up before you go. Come on. You just simply have the grace by the Spirit of God to look. And we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror. You know that scripture? And are changed from glory to glory. Wasn't that name you started off? You didn't start out like in that nasty old sinner, dragging it in. Oh, but he calls you to come. He calls you, beloved. And then it just kind of gets more cute as you go. The Lord starts to call you strong.
You know, our tagline here is that there is room in the house for you. Well, take that to a very personal level. There is room in your body home for you, for all of you. But we have to have one another. We have to call it out. Unless, unless a person speaks, you, there's no power. There's no infusion. It's calling those things that be not come on as though they were. It's faith. <laughs> I mean, dancing around with these icons is another way to say it's faith. We accept these things about ourselves by faith. That addiction that's got you so wrapped up that you feel like, how would I ever let that go? You don't have to, beloved. Keep the addiction and take it to the table. Keep the addiction and take it to the table and talk about it. Yeah. Let's stay in real and right relationship with God. We don't have to be good or correct or right, but we can be connected. And I'm telling you what, I have a feeling, I have a feeling about it, that the longer we hang out in this room, the less we'll need to hide from ourselves with all the things that we used to hide from ourselves. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make you less qualified to be at the table. Bring it all. Go ahead and start playing that little later on in that, right? Yeah. I need some holy music. I need music that like, makes me feel like it's holy. Could you guys stand with me?